In the following live session recording, Nick Duke, state missionary with Georgia Baptist Mission Board, talks about church sound technicians. Church sound technicians have a tough job. The technology changes rapidly and comprehensive training is often hard to find. Fortunately, the Georgia Baptist Mission Board is making changes to allow these kinds of resources to be more readily available to churches and their teams. This session will be a discussion on the resources, gear, practices, and ongoing training that is needed to be effective as a church sound technician. Let's join Nick now. So anyways, um, so there, audio is, a, is, a, it's, is this cool merging of two worlds, of, of technical and of artistic. And um, I think it's a really fun way to, if you, if you are at all on the technical side of your brain and you're just wired that way, if like you, I remember growing up just being, um, I was never like a super smart, like wire up my own thing kind of guy, but I just remember seeing on like our home stereo system, these little EQ knobs and I was like messing with it. Like, yep. let's see if I can get this to change that and like see what this sounds like. I just, I, so that's one of those like a tinkerer type person uh, isn't always the best person for sound, but it, but it typically is like the guy that you want. Um, uh, a responsible tinkerer, I'll say that. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so I mean, this, this really, like, like I said, this is an instrument and, and more and more uh, in churches across um, the whole United States, I mean, really and truly, like we're, we're, we're leaning more on the sound guy to translate what's happening on their platform to our congregation. Um, it used to be that, that most of the sound in a room, in a, in a sanctuary, came from the platform itself, and we were sound reinforcement. Um, we, were, we were taking the 70% and just giving it an extra 30% to give it what it, what it really fully needed. Um, but now we're boxing everything in, drum cages and electric drums and uh, guitars are going into DI boxes and we don't have live pianos, we, do, we go more to keyboards and um, all these different things like amp, guitar amps are going into boxes and putting them in a closet somewhere and, um, and so we're isolating and miking it and putting it into a sound system all for one guy to translate to our congregation. So we're bottlenecking this whole thing and counting on this one guy to figure it all out. Um, and a lot of times the churches don't even train those that going guy, right? Um, it's just, hey, you've been doing it for 30 years, but what's the wrong? Just, just turn the faders up. No, 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 a lot more goes into it than, than, than just that. I mean, you have to shape those sounds to fit each other. A uh, keyboard and a bass guitar will fight each other all day long through one little speaker. Um, if, you, if you don't have a really nice sound, uh, sound system, a nice speaker system, um, you have to know how those relationships work together. So, because a, a keyboard, the left hand of a piano, has all the low end stuff, and if that if your pianist just bangs on the low end, and you have a bass guitar playing at the same time, they're going to be fighting each other in a mix the whole time. And the sound guy's like, well, just turn the turn. It's, it ends up being where one of them just turns the other one down, or just the whole thing sounds muddy and doesn't translate very well. Have you, anybody experienced any of that? Yeah. Um, choirs. Um, the choirs are, are used to. We have this monitor, this, all of a sudden in the past 20 years we have this choir monitor problem that is just making everybody miserable because they're used to having these nice large acoustic sounds coming from either a piano or an organ and, uh, and that, that surrounds them and they can hear everything they want to hear and, it, and the choir kind of goes out. Now we're like shrinking everything down to tracks and like playing it through these little tiny speakers from the ceiling and shooting it down on the choir loft hoping that they hear it um, and then boosting up choir speaker, I mean choir microphones 
above that, right? And so it's this constant like battle of we're, we're putting our sound guys in these positions that are just difficult without training them. And, um, and so one of the things I'm really passionate about is helping churches um, do this well and in order that, um, well, let me just ask this question. What is our goal? Like what's the sound guy's goal? Um, like what's the in order that? Have a balanced sound. Yeah. No. Between all the instruments, the vocals, everything, mm-hmm. a nice balanced sound that doesn't hurt your ears. That's right. What else? No feedback. <laughs> Eliminate distractions, right? <laughs> balanced sound. In a room that was renovated and the speakers still stayed in the same place, it's a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm at, uh, I used to be at a, at a pretty large church in Augusta that uh, still attend there, but when I first got there, the first project they gave me was to. Um, to buy new speakers. And this, I mean, like budget was like $60,000. This is a pretty big overhaul. Um, and that was really nerve wracking for me. And, um, but the speakers they had was like from the original placement and they had built out the stage like yeah. 15, 20 feet this way. And so the speakers were here, your microphones are here and it's a linary system just shooting sound into that, that, that those front speakers. I'm like that is the definition of feedback. Like yeah. microphone, speaker, like that is how you get feedback and um, I'm like you designed the system for feedback so uh, they weren't crazy about the idea of moving speakers forward but I was like you have to you have to so what what is our other goals in, in sound in running sound so no no distractions no well I'd, I'd say it, it's 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 what the goal of, of your worship service is it, it's communicating communicating God's word and creating an environment where where the, where the people can worship Worship God. Absolutely. Yeah, and th- yeah. It. Thank you for saying that because um, that is. I treat a sound guy, a, sound, a technical team, as part of my musicians. I mean, a lot of people segment that out and say they're two different teams. No, you're. They're. They are aiding, and as involved with what's happening on the platform as anybody. Um, and and so the whole goal is congregational engagement, right? Um, and so the goal of a worship team is to, to engage the congregation to sing to Jesus. Uh, and so I want to, to translate that and do it in such a way that's not distracting, uh, that doesn't have feedback, that is balanced, that has all these other things in it, um, but ultimately is engaging a congregation, right? Um, who's been in a, a worship service that's too loud? Okay, who's been in a worship service that's too quiet? Yeah. So there's, there's, there's these two boundaries um, that we're kind of, going for in the big scheme. Uh, so if we're just like projecting towards a, a final goal here, um, you can go too loud and that's gonna be disengaging, right? Um, but then there's a fine line of too quiet, which is disengaging. My dad feels super uncomfortable in a quiet environment because he doesn't sing uh, very well and he doesn't, he doesn't feel comfortable singing loud in, in front of people or people around him can hear him very well. Uh, but if he's a part of a, a bigger sound, he feels totally comfortable with it. Um, so, so that fine line is there. So always think about that gray middle of somewhere in the middle of that, there is, there's a congregational engagement that happens. Um, so that's our goal, is congreg- uh, um, engaging congregation. Um, so we're going to talk about how sound works really quick and how um, acoustic information gets from something like this out of something like that. Um, and we're going to talk about two different parts. One is gain structure, um, and the other one is signal um, flow. And so, like how the signal flows through it. The other one is gain structure. So, uh, first thing is uh, 
kind of just the basics. I mean, let, let's just talk simple here. Um, we have a speaker, um, and a speaker kind of has this, there's this cone in the front of it um, and a magnet in the back part of it. Um, but what a microphone is, is essentially the sm smaller version of that. So there, if you took this little foam part off right there, you would see a little cone inside of this that's just like a speaker cone. And then behind it, back here, is a little magnet. And it takes in, it's a more sensitive cone and a more sensitive magnet than these are, uh, but it receives acoustic information. So my voice is producing these sound waves, right? And as the sound waves hit that cone, it makes the, the cone vibrate and the magnet take, takes those vibrations and makes it into electrical energy, right? This is science class. Um, and so it comes out of the, out of the metal pieces. Of, there's all these metal co components in here that kind of shape it a little bit. And then it comes out, goes through all your, co your copper wire in, in your floor, um, and goes into the back of a soundboard. Soundboard processes it, and we'll get into more of that in a little bit, and then spits it back out to your speaker system. Uh, and then your speaker system boosts all that signal up in a bigger amplifier, and then the big cone just reproduces what the small cone was doing. Does that make sense? So that's the simple terms. Uh, and again, science class a little bit, but, but just to kind of demystify it, it's not this like magical process that happens. It's just sound waves getting translated to create louder sound waves, right? And so um, it's, it's, I, I love how cool uh, that is and how, how simple it is if you think about it that way. Um, so we have a couple of different ways of measuring audio. Um, can anybody give me the two terms we use for measuring audio? That's electrical, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that is, sorry, that is a way to, to do it. If we're if we're measuring um, audio in our in our room like this, if we're measuring my voice right now, how loud it is. Decibels, decibels, and the frequency. Decibels and frequency. Yes. So decibels are talking about um, a loudness meter. It's, it is how loud something is in a room. So uh, typically, my work like like a contemporary worship service and. Uh, I, would even, I would just say a typical worship service that uh, is engaging for the voice, it, if it's mixed well, uh, somewhere ranges between 84 decibels and 94 decibels. 94 being kind of that fine line. If you get a little bit above that, it's going to start hurting. Um, now, consider all the factors that go into that. If you're measuring from a room in a balcony with a closed window or, or a barely opened window, and you're getting 94 there. <laughs> Imagine what that is on the front row, right? And so you kind of have to think through that. That sort of thing. Um, and, and take your. And during rehearsal, I often walk around with either an iPhone that can measure it, which is not super accurate, but close enough, uh, or like a decibel meter. Um, and a decibel meter will, will be able to tell you exactly how many decibels you're getting in your space. And so uh, at the front of the room, if I'm getting to 94, I'm not super worried about that because um, I think anybody that walks in a large venue like that would expect it to be louder in the front than it would be in the back. But if in the back of the room, it's getting down to 84, you're getting a little too quiet. You're going to disengage from the people in the back of the room. So having, and hopefully your system's designed in a way that it's pretty even across the whole floor, but some, it's not always the case. So, um, so we measure audio with decibels and then we measure audio with frequency. Um, frequency, um, who has bought like a nice set of headphones in the past couple of years, 10 years, <laughs> a decent set of like Bose headphones or something like that. If you read the packaging on the back of it, um, it'll say 20 Hertz to 20 kilohertz. Anybody ever seen that before? Familiar with that at all? 
20 hertz to 20 kilohertz. That's 20 hertz to 20,000 hertz. Um, and so th those are the two end markers of what the human ear can hear. And so what it's saying is this can, these, these speakers, these headphones can produce sound uh, at the full spectrum of what a human can hear. A dog can hear up to 50 hertz, uh, 50, 50 kilohertz, um, and, and so on and so forth. But a, a typical speaker system won't even worry about producing sounds above those ranges or below those ranges because we can't even really interpret them with our ear. Uh, as you get older, you're the, that spectrum kind of shrinks down a little bit. Um, and so, you're, so you still hear the low end just the same, but the high end kind of starts to shrink. Um, so uh, let me see if I can find. Laurel and <laughs> oh, yeah. What was the other word? Where's my um, you don't get the word list? Yeah, sort of with a Y, I think, but <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. Kids could hear one, the adults hear the other. <laughs> yeah, hold on. I need to find my, I meant to have this already ready for you. Um, all right, so this is a 1k. Tone. You can barely hear it. Sorry, I don't have a. I need to play it through there. Um, hearing test. Yeah, you can feel like you're doing hearing test. But like way down in the low range, you're not going to hear hardly anything. But as it gets. At a certain. Is it gone? Did you hear that? Yeah. You sir? Yeah, yeah. Just barely. I hear that? Yeah. My phone is probably not producing it well enough, uh, but that that's up to 15k right there. Um, and so we did this test. Is like that my, an app? Yeah, the, I need to. I, there's a way to do it on here. Um, I should have just done. Yeah, here's the signal generator right here. Um, oh, okay. I wonder if I have that. No. I'm gonna turn it way down first. Um, Here we go. So, so we're at 200 hertz, four, 500, 800, 1K, 1.5K, 2K, 2.5, we're gonna scoot on through, six, seven, 10, 12, ow, 13, 14, 15, 16, yeah. you gone? I was going like 12. Yeah, I was going like Anybody? 11 or 11 or there. Yeah, this might not be accurately producing at all. <laughs> oh, that hurts. Um, uh, but so point being, as you get older, the more you're exposed to loud noise, uh, if you're like drummers or, or I was in drumline in high school uh, and just constant loud noise there's like just constant um, I, I'm surprised I can still hear half of those um, but my dad I think we tested him we were, we were <laughs> side story he has this annoying dog that lives right behind him and so I, like at Christmas last year I brought like one, one of my nice speakers to see if I could just blast like a really loud tone to drive the dog crazy and like get him to stop you know because we're trying to have a nice Christmas thing and like blasted like 20k to the backyard and so he's like I can't even hear that so my dad can't even hear like I think it was like 13k is what we were trying to do but yeah I couldn't even hear that at all <laughs> but um but anyways yeah so the reason I'm telling you all that is that if, if you have an older congregation if you have a very bass heavy 
mix on sound, that's gonna drive them nuts because they're not hearing any of the high-end stuff that, that we're all hearing maybe. Um, and, and so if, if I'm ever mixing an event or a concert or, or worship service for an older congregation, I'm always gonna balance, go take what I would think is, sounds great, take the low end down and the high end up a little bit and make it a little brighter than what I would want it to be because I know the, 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 the older congregation will have a, have a much better experience with that. That makes sense. Yeah. I, my my dad, as as he's gotten older, um, he said he said the difference is that everything I hear now is is as if um, you took all the bass and all the treble out, and all you had was the mids with your with with your hands over. It. Yeah, like this. Oh, yeah. That's how everything sounds. Ah, oh, bummer. <laughs> that, that's gonna be a sad day for me, man. <laughs> that's how everything sounds. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, that's the spectrum. So we have decibels, loudness, frequency is is tones. It's uh, piano players would know A as what? 440. 440, right? So that's the same, we're talking about the same thing there. 440 hertz, 440 hertz is an A tone. Um, that's the fundamental tone of, a, of a, this, this middle A of a piano. Um, uh, so anyways, all that kind of translates to each other. That's all a part of, uh, of audio. That's how we measure audio. That's how we kind of look at it and, and measure it. Um, so next, the first thing we're going to talk about is gain structure. Um, this we're going to get a little technical, but it's um, hopefully going to make a lot of sense for you. Um, uh, so has anybody ever seen the gain knob on a soundboard? It's analog, digital, whatever you've ever used. Gain knob is uh, definitely a part of it. You know what that is? <laughs> what is a gain knob in... in uh, the best you the best understanding you have of it. What does it do? The incorrect answer is a master volume. <laughs> I don't remember the correct answer. I can't remember the correct answer. <laughs> <laughs> it just, it turns up a turns on higher. Get a higher sound, like out of a microphone, maybe. If, as you turn that gain up, that whoever's that microphone is going to get louder for that that person. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people think of it as like sensitivity on a microphone. Uh, the way I like to think about it is, uh, is I, I, I draw this analogy of water uh, audio flowing like water. So if you, so let's let's just pretend this is my um, this is my um, keynote and uh, PowerPoint skills here. So we have a fire hydrant in your front yard, right? You're gonna water your grass with, with a fire hydrant water. Stay with me. Um, imagine you could take a garden hose, hook it up to your fire hydrant, uh, and then put a sprinkler on the other side. If I turn the spigot of the fire hydrant pressure into that hose to this sprinkler, what would happen? I'd blow my hose up, right? Something would something would break. Something's gonna break. The weakest component's gonna break. Um, and so, so the gain knob is the spigot over here. It's controlling how much pressure is in this hose. Does that make sense? It's not a master volume. Uh, if it, it, how silly would it be if I went over? held the, the squeeze handle of my hose trying to water my flowers, and then I walked over to control how much water is coming out of it, I changed the, the spigot to see how, that's why we have those squeeze handle hoses, right? So the squeeze handle is your fader. Like that's how much we're, uh, water we're gonna let out of the sprinkler, uh, or out of the, the, the end of the hose, so I shouldn't put a sprinkler, I should put a squeeze handle thing. Uh, this is how much water is gonna come out. Um, this is how much water we're putting in the hose. We wanna set that pressure correctly before we ever go squeeze squeeze water. If I barely have any water in there and I go to squeeze the handle, it's just gonna be dripping out, right? So in the same way, we set the pressure of the, of a, of the gain knob um, appropriately so that it's uh, at its loudest point, 
getting us good levels on these meters. So the, the way that we measure that, the way we kind of monitor that, um, is going to be different on, based on whatever console you have. Most consoles will have, at l most um, prosumer level console, if you buy like the cheapest like PV board you can find at a, a local music shop, probably not gonna have meters on it. Um, but if you, most consoles will have at least three of these little indicator lights on the channels. Can you think about, can you like board at your church? Do y'all have these indicator lights at all? Do you know? Um, if you don't, um, there is a button. Hold on, my um, music stopped here. Oh, thing froze, there we go. All right, so um, the so if you don't, you have this little the button called PFL, prefader listen. Uh, if you push that button, it throws your metering to the big meter on the console over here. So I can change it. Boop. So I can monitor. This is her voice right here. I'll PFL that. That tells me the pressure of the hose. Does that make sense? Yeah, so if it starts getting to... There's distortion happening. All those red lights mean distortion, distortion. When she starts singing the chorus, it's going to get nasty, and I'm not going to put you through that. Um, cool, computer. I like that. <laughs> Wowzers. Um, sorry about that. Um, there we go. Um, so if you start gaining that thing up and we're getting into, so there's green, 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 green up to zero, and there's a plus three, plus six, plus 12. It gives you those grace periods right there. And then you have the red, which is clipping, which is distortion. Um, on a soundboard like this, distortion is never the right answer. On a guitar amp, it might be a little bit different. On a, uh, a Hammond B3, it might be a little bit different. You might want to get a little bit of distortion. That tube distortion, is that's fine. Um, in this, we don't like it, um, especially on a digital console. A digital console starts getting um, just gross sounding. <laughs> uh, it's the equivalent of like whoever's ever taken their iPhone to like a dark place and try to take a picture of something without a flash. If you zoom in, you just see like these weird pixels of things, right? It's like, it's trying to make something out of nothing and it can't do it. There's not enough information for the, the camera to process and to build a quality photo out of. So in the same way, if I try to just barely give any signal to my channel um, and, and try to make that come out of the system, it's just gonna have all this extra noise with it. Um, let me see if I can make it. This, this is what the just noise sounds like right here that's 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 what digital noise sounds like it's just white noise it's bad uh, and so the, the less we have good gain structure the more we're just introducing that slowly into our system um, so the appropriate thing to always do with that is to, to set proper gain levels and so at the, the rule of thumb on all of these is that you always want um, at the loudest point of that channel. So if it's a, 
if it's a CD player, that's easy. You can hit play and it's gonna come in. You're gonna have a really normal, constant level throughout the whole thing. If it's a female vocalist or a male vocalist um, and they're starting to sing and then you die, you live, you reign. When they get to the chorus, that's a different level than this right here. Like that's a very different dynamic, right? So we set, we set the gain level for the loudest part of that song or for that loudest part of that channel source. Sometimes I, I, I have fun with with my sound guys. I don't really do it intentionally, but I make fun of it because I try not to do it, but I call it my sound check voice where I get up <laughs> testing one, two, three, testing one, two, three. Yeah. And I have a very, very strong singing voice. Yeah. <laughs> no <laughs> doubt. Let's take, check one, one, well, even, <laughs> even with things that are like far more consistent, an like acoustic guitar is pretty consistent. I mean, there, there's some dynamics to it, but it's not like here to here. It's more like here to here, uh, dynamically. Um, when you when you play in practice, or it's like eight o'clock in the morning, you're sound checking. You're here for the early morning sound check, right? Um, and then when you have your ten o'clock service, those are two. Like you just play different when you're, especially when you're in front of people. I've done a sound check. Um, uh, what was I guess it was last weekend at Go Georgia. We did a sound check over there, and like they just kind of wandered up, like whatever, and and this was fine. But then they started really playing. The the room was full. There's energy. Like they're singing at a different level. Like there's just boom. Um, and so they, just be conscious of that. That's 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 all the point is of of, of all of that because um, you can set that game level just perfect in rehearsal, and then they'll be clipping all through. Uh, service. So you never really want it to, you, you always want to set the loudest point to be about halfway up this meter, get into that negative six, negative three range um, with your loudest points just barely touching those yellow meters on that. So. And when you do that, are you basing your faders at the zero mark to start or no, no. where do you? Um, no, faders are completely dependent on the, the zero mark. Oh, you're talking about with the pre-fader listen set the gain? Correct. Okay, I see. Yeah, so you always you always set that with a PFL. Digital consoles will give you again. This is what this these little three these three little lights are. The the bottom one says signal. It just tells you if any signal is present on that at all, it'll start lighting up. Uh, the other one is tells you the zero mark, uh, and that's that's all I really need to see. If this if it's occasionally hitting that zero, we're good. We're there. If it's never hitting that zero, I'm gonna PFL that thing and check out, check out what's going on with it. If it's just barely hanging out in the negative twenty range, we need to boost that signal. Or analog console might just have like a green and red mm -hmm. LED. It's still green and I mean the and red means it's clipping. Yeah, the or nothing. Or nothing. The I mean even consoles down in like back in the seventies had a PFL where you could check your meters yeah. that way. That, yeah. That's what they designed that for. Or there might be VU meters, which are like the the yeah the pegging um, yeah whatever so, yeah. The VU meters. Um, so that is. Um, that's how you set the, 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 the gain levels. So it says gain structure. Um, the other reason this is important uh, is how, like as musicians, we, we always have the I can't hear me fight, right? Um, so, so we have to branch that signal off to you know, the, the nursery, to um, choir monitors, to, to inner monitors, to, to personal floor wedges or whatever. Um, and so if we don't have enough signal going into the channel, well, of course you have it up to 100 and it doesn't sound, you don't have enough signal because it's barely getting in there. Um, one of the, I mean, again, I've probably been to 
well over 100 churches in the state doing doing what I'm doing now. And the most common thing I see all the time is that nobody has an idea how to, or nobody ever pays attention to the game structure of their soundboard. And so when you have all these monitor problems, that is the very first thing I'm looking at is what's the game structure like? So let's just check that out. So that's what game structure is. Any questions about that? Does that make sense? This is my hose with the fire hydrant thing. <laughs> it kind of gives you a perspective on that. Um, so but then, now we'll talk about signal flow. And these are all the components that happen in the console um, that makes, that shapes the sound, that sends it to different places, that all the processes that happen within the console um, before it goes out to your speaker system. So um, anybody, somebody name some, some of the pieces that are on your soundboard. So from the gain knob down. Yeah, match the volume off, obviously. Match the volume knob, that control your total output. That should, I think, have, that controls your output for your speakers. Total mm -hmm. overall volume for everything. Mm -hmm. And see, you got the individual, like I said, you got three or four mics, you got the individual um, volume control. Faders, yep. Equalizers. Equalizers, tell me what an equalizer is. It, but yeah, <laughs> I got I got five. Well, there's three equalizers and then two like mid range. Mid, well, it's like a mid, and you can adjust the decibel of that. The mid. frequency of it. Yeah. Yep. Um, but, yep. So, yeah. <laughs> no, that, that's that's great. So, uh, simplest terms you can think of what like EQ in your car, right? We have bass, mids, and treble, right? Mm -hmm. What does the bass sound like? That's what you hear from the two cars over to, as you have the red light, right? It's just, it kind of just, that's all, that's all the stuff we kind of feel in our chest, not necessarily here. Uh, at certain volumes, you definitely hear it, but um, you feel it before you hear it. Um, that's, that's anything that comes out of a subwoofer, which is like your, the primary, or this one actually isn't working. We plugged it out this, uh, last night and it wasn't working, but a subwoofer, just produces all of those really, really low tones. Um, kick drums, bass guitars, keyboards, organs, um, low bass male voices can come through a subwoofer. Um, what else? I mean, that all those things kind of push through those, those really, really low tones. So that we classify low, like the bass, uh, or the low frequencies as anything under a hundred hertz, um, and so let me just show you. This is kind of a graphical representation of a of an EQ spectrum. So um, we have decibels, frequency, right? Uh, and so right here at about a hundred hertz, they draw these lines that are kind of segmented off. So this is about a hundred hertz right here. Anything below one hundred hertz is kind of where our ears start dropping off, and we start to feel in our chest more than it. So anything like kick drum, bass guitar, keyboards, organs, things like that all, all exist. The low end of it exists down here. Um, and then we draw a line and go from 100 to about 1K, which is about right here. So this range right here um, is going to be our low mids. This Sounds like that, right there. If you just take a low mid and you and you boost it all the way up, and this is all it just sounds like somebody put a put their hand in front of their mouth the whole time. Um, and so that is low mids. And anything that sounds muddy or um, like I used to have this worship leader I ran sound for that just had the funniest way of describing stuff. He said it'd be like, it sounds like my head's in a pillow. Like what? Is, uh, and I'm like, 
oh, so you need some less low mids in your mic. Okay, got it. Um, and so interpreting that's always fun. But uh, low mids is kind of that just very undistinguished kind of um, boxy sound. It's fun terms to try to make all this stuff up. Um, low mids is also like the most crucial adjustment you make because all of your fundamental tones of music exist in this range. So we talked about A being 440, that's in this range. And so if you take too much of it out, you're, you're getting rid of all the fundamental tones that our ears are referencing. And so without getting too nerdy, but if you, if you play an A, A440, you're not just playing a sine wave of four, 440 hertz. There's all these octaves above it that we hear with it. And then the reverberations of it that happen in your room. And so like, there's, it's a very complex thing, but it's like 440 is the fundamental tone of that where it kind of tr trickles up above that as well. That stuff is just kind of candy on top, but this is where our ears are referencing in order to sing with those notes. Does that make sense? So this is a really important range to kind of get familiar with. So low, mid, and this is why they split it up on pro audio stuff. So in your car, it's just called mid range, and that's gonna scoop this whole section out right here. Well, mid range is gonna be the whole, is the whole thing, the whole mid range. Um, in, in pro audio, they go low, mid, high, mid. So there's two sections of, of low mid, and that's kind of what you were talking about a little bit ago. Um, and so low mid, high mid, uh, low mid being like those fundamental tones, the things that sound boxy, high mid being things that sound harsh. So if you have a, like, like a, megaphone kind of sound. do what? Kind of like that megaphone kind of sound. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's a great way to describe that. That megaphone range is like, everything sounds like it's coming through this, uh, I hit the button, sorry. Um, everything sounds like it's coming through like a, like a megaphone. Uh, the if you have a, um, not to be mean or anything, um, like a, an older soprano lady, they have a very harsh tone or edge to their voice. Typically, uh, they it kind of turns this um, corner of being a little harsh and brash sounding. That's that sound. That's the sound. If you wanted to take some of that harsh upper range out, it would be in this high mid section, uh, and that starts at one k and goes to about. 3,500 to 5,000, so which I'm again, I'm just gonna kind of draw these lines. So right here, that's that that's our high mid range right here. Um, that's our low mid range. That's like the majority of what we're, we're messing with is high mids and low mids. Low just being the bassy stuff and the highs being the kind of trebly breathy sound. Like that's all you're hearing is kind of that stuff. Does that demystify at all? Did I just throw way too much on you? Cause I can talk through this stuff like way too fast sometimes. Um, so that's the EQ spectrum. And the, and the more that you kind of just mess with it, I'm gonna see if I can get my computer to not mess up on me um, so I can demonstrate that a little bit. Um, so on the piano. That's high mids, that's, that's harsh piercing high mids. So that just kind of makes your ear go like that. But if I reduce it just a tiny bit, it just sounds really round and warm. Low mids. But if I take it out and just barely take it out a little bit, it sounds really thin. 
tinny, right? So I can barely adjust that low mid range and it makes a huge difference. So anyways, uh, female voice. My friend Haley is singing on this and she's gonna kill me for doing this. This is that high mid. It has a bite to it. But if I take that and do the low mid, oh, you really gotta get that boxy sound to it. And that's an exaggeration. But if you if you if you just get a rehearsal started and you're starting to run sound, you hear the characteristics of somebody's microphone, it's gonna have a, either a harsh or a kind of a muddy lean to it if it doesn't sound really crazily that way. And so if it leans one way or the other, you kind of have a reference point of that's kind of harsh. So I'm gonna go to the high mid and pull that down. That's kind of muddy. I'm gonna go to the low mid and pull it down. Does that make sense? Uh, and notice that I've I've said every time I've said pull that down. Um, a lot of people have the tendency with EQ um, to go and just turn everything up. So, but what you're doing, it, if you can't, y'all come here real quick, just take a look at this. I want you to see this little section right here. I can't blow it up big enough to, to do this. So this is the EQ. And this is probably more complex than, it's definitely more complex than your analog consoles. Um, but you're, you'll see three adjustments on four different spectrums. So you have low gain, low mid gain, high mid gain and high gain, high frequency gain. So that's the gain, that's what that's doing is literally, so this is that same spectrum. So 20 hertz, 20 kilohertz. And so I'm literally just shaping that EQ's curve. Doing that. Here's the high. Darn, yeah. So, um, but, so then you have, I think I can get away with not, yeah, there you go. Um, then you have um, the frequency. So I can, not only can I boost different sections of my EQ, but I can also slightly change where that EQ is making the adjustment. And you can see the actual numbers right there. So 1.1, 1.2, um, all the way down to whatever. I'll, I can put the thing in the low frequency if I wanted to. Mm -hmm. um, but, so these give you a lot of flexibility here. Um, so again, so you have the, the frequency, the gain, and then the Q, or the, uh, the width, is, is a, lot of, a lot of them will call it Q, but some of them are width. Um, you can make a really narrow, specific adjustment, or you can make a really broad, like musical adjustment, where uh, typically I'm gonna lean towards that broader adjustment. Uh, the, when I, the only times I ever do these like little skinny ones is if I have a, like a choir microphone that feeds back at a one particular, one like that one note. Um, so check that we're this. having that problem. Yes. Yeah. Um, if you get like they have, they have a ton of these like free apps. This is the this is the actual app I took a screenshot of when I, on my, my presentation. But if I go, that's one specific frequency. That's that's three fifty one. So I can literally come here and I could go. All right, that's three ninety two. I can go down to three fifty six. It's close enough. And I can duck that puppy down, and that's gonna take all the out of that microphone mm -hmm. like that and it cannot feed back at that point anymore it'll, hope, it'll find another and hope, spot and yeah that that's not like a in the song where they're playing a right <laughs> but if out. even if it is it's gonna it's it's balancing that particular microphone for your space yeah 
Uh, what's interesting is if you've ever played a, um, if you've ever been like in a, a stairwell or a, like a small like tile bathroom or played a piano in like a smaller room, one note is louder than every other note. Have you ever noticed that? Yeah. Yeah. Like, and it'll just resonate like crazy. So every space that you ever walk into has a resonant tone to it. Um, if you close in all four walls and have a ceiling on it, it it's some, it's some note is going to resonate louder than all the other notes in that space. Uh, and so what you're doing when you, when you make these kind of adjustments is you're tuning your microphone for that space. I know that's like probably a little bit too deep in the weeds, but I mean, every Sons of Jubal concert, I try to get there before everybody else. And I set up the choir microphones and I'm gonna, I'm gonna ring out, I'm gonna purposely make those microphones feed back so that I can pull out this app and figure out exactly where those are most sensitive and I dial that in and, and cut Just those out. It out. It's called Analyzer. Um, they, yeah, they've, they've stopped updating it. Um, it's just the one I've kept for, for oh. a long time. Um, there's yeah, there's like 150 different mm. versions of it. What would I search? Just EQ. Uh, just do um, if if it weren't just to see what else is out there. Yeah, audio analyzer. Just do audio analyzer or um, or spectrum analyzer. Any of those should pull up a couple different options. Um, I, I just, I've gotten used to that one. I really love it. Mm -hmm. There's um, let's see. What's really cool excuse me, is a lot of consoles, including like the X32 that you guys use it at um, Fort Creek, will have, let me pull up my iPad. They have the, the analyzer built into the back of the EQ. So when really? you pull up okay. your EQ full screen, yeah. you'll see like those little bouncing things behind the EQ curve. Okay. So, so if it starts feeding back, you'll actually see exactly where it is on top of where you're making That's your cool. adjustment. Okay. I'm like, why doesn't every console do that? It's crazy. That's, I wish I went to the, when you came and did it, I really, I didn't know I was going to be doing this yeah. at the time yeah. where I would have come. No, that's good. I, mean, I think I'm coming back on a Sunday. You are? Like in three or four weeks. Yeah. Crystal. Crystal yeah, we were talking about that. Um, I'll probably be there for that one. The... So like, um, a lot of consoles will start doing, let me just do a demo. So if I jump into an EQ on the demo, um, it'll bounce the and I can just do that with my finger, like just like that. It's, it's so easy. Um, this, is, this is why digital is like just changing the game because it, that's why, I mean, this is a $2,200 console. That is so cheap for soundboards. Mm -hmm. wow. um, yeah. And it's, it's great. It has an app just like this one. Um, Are the faders motorized? Yeah. Wow. Now, <laughs> is that... <laughs> Boy, that would be nice. Yeah, <laughs> so, <laughs> that, so, again, another point in case. Well, somebody, like somebody has a wedding on, your, on Saturday before Sunday, and how many times are you coming on Sunday morning for your band rehearsal, and everything's messed it's up, messed right? Up. Yeah. I can literally... so. Um, I'm gonna try not to blow everybody's ears up, but I can go here and go scene. I'm gonna select my scene three, hit recall. Are you sure you wanna do that? Yep. Boop. This is exactly how I had it for my last class. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, nice. every, not, not just the faders and not just this, but every, aux, every aux mix, every gain level, every, every EQ, everything on the console is recalled to exactly how I had it. Yeah. So, uh, can that be deployed in an analog environment? Would you have to change out the whole system? Analog, the way they had to do it was they. they had <laughs> on every mic. That's analog, right? I mean, everything, there's 20 of 30 of them coming out of the back of the board. Right, so it, it does change the gain level on all of those. I mean, 
inside you, the console. Can you buy just a board, or are you going to have to run an Ethernet core or new mm -hmm. wires? Yeah, you can plug it. Sure. Yeah, this is all, it's, it turns analog right here. Okay. You oh, can. It still, it still does have that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's still, I've heard still has some that. that just run everything yeah. off of Ethernet. This can do either or. So, <laughs> okay. you, so if you want to make okay. this system more complex, it has a D snake, a digital snake option right here. Okay. That you can run an Ethernet cord up to your stage. You, okay. All mm -hmm. right. So you can do digital board and still have the cool mm -hmm. wiring and all that. Okay. All yeah. Right. No doubt. Um, yeah, for sure. Are digital snakes worth it? Uh, yeah. Yes. Are they? Mm -hmm. Okay. And the reason is like you're taking a lot of guesswork out of the um, the system. You're, so it, copper wire over time oxidizes, starts to get a little bit no, more noisy, less less reliable. A rat can bite through it in your in your ceiling and or wherever your snake is run through, and uh, and you have no idea what the problem is. Right. Um, not to mention, so the the longer an analog cable becomes, the more it becomes an an antenna for mm -hmm. all kinds of interruption, mm -hmm. and so. If you run it more than, so typical snakes are about 200 feet, and then you tack on top of that, you're plugging into the floor box on the floor and adding another 25, 50 feet beyond that, mm -hmm. um, and then you're hooking up to a microphone, and you know, so there's all these extensions of it that, that cause even more interruption and more um, possible connection problems. Digital snakes take all that out of the equation, um, and you literally just connect there, connect up there, and you have, first of all, you have a lot more in and output options. So for the first time ever, we have like, 20 outputs on the stage and I could put a second box on the other side of the stage and do 40 mm. and it's like insane because now the drummer can hear that the guitar player can hear that the bass player can hear that the worst player can hear that no he didn't want to hear that um, <laughs> um, and, and like I'm mixing their auxes by hitting this button real quick not to mention they can have the iPad open on their own and go Fix it themselves. Uh, I'm gonna say okay. I'm gonna go sends on faders, and I'm gonna change mix. I want to change mix seven. Boom! This is my mix, and I, I and I'm in my ears, real time, changing what's happening on this console from the iPad. But you have I mean, to have internet for that. Uh, don't have to have internet for that. You can hook up. You can up a, a fifty dollar wireless router, which is, doesn't have to be internet. It okay. just has to be wireless connectivity. Right. Okay. There's a network port right here. It's done. I set that up again for most of our Sons of Drupal stuff that I do. I, I roll in the back with a, my board, hook up a little network to it, um, set it next to my console, and I can walk around my iPad and stand on the platform mixing their monitors for them, and then walk in the back and keep running, working on from the house. a dedicated router or just can be plugged into a router? Uh, you can run it over your whole network. It's, that makes me nervous, especially if I'm like depending on it. Um, well, like if you had the a wireless router, which your computer is running off of Ethernet, could you just plug your board into that same router? It's the only thing on that network. Then that would be fine. You know, but it, it would fit where your the network to your whole church was connecting to yeah, when you yeah. got there on Sunday morning. That wouldn't be nervous. Mm -hmm. But um, not to mention, you just have those random people that like to. They're like, oh, what kind of board they're using? And like, just I've ha literally had people try to like <laughs> hack into my board. I'm like, what are you doing? Get alive, man! Oh, so um, people would do something. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, that's EQ. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay, cool. Um, that, so that, the next thing is, is dynamics, um, and we don't have to stand up here for this. Not, that, that was the part I really wanted you to kind of see, and then you got to see a whole bunch of other stuff, which is cool. Um, dynamics is talking about, um, again, the kind of the loudness and softness of, of our signal path. Um, let's get back here. Um, so this is what um, 
the compressor on a soundboard um, is essentially, uh, is, this is probably the most mystical item on a soundboard and most misunderstood. A lot of people think it's this um, thing that changed, uh, well, I won't do that. Um, what it essentially does is if you have um, signal that's, this is the quietest point, this is the loudest point. So this is an unhindered loudness curve right here. What a compressor does is it says, all right, once it crosses a threshold point, once it crosses a particular loudness point, it's going to start turning that down for you. It's going to curve it and start turning it down for you. The louder it gets over that threshold point, the more it's turning it down for you. Does that make sense? So, and the reason they made this, the reason they, um, it was, this was ever invented, was that um, back in the studio recording days of old, when they had the giant analog consoles that took up a whole room, Engineers would have to make these um, mix sheets um, that were they were called, and they would they would note um, exactly the time on the mix of the song. And so, if you've ever heard like an an old Eagles album or something like that, this is what they did for that. So they would instead of having these compressors, they would um, mark like okay at three fifty two, I'm going to turn fader fourteen down three decibels, and then turn it right back up at three fifty nine. And so it's like they're performing a mix. So like they're literally like there's three guys across the console. Like I'm in charge in, in charge of these eight faders. And so like they're like watching their sheets and they're watching the clock and it's like eight three fifty three fifty four down six seven eight nine back up. And like they're like detail mixing this whole thing. Uh, and while that's still happening in some some respects, they created a a compressor that essentially is doing that for you. Uh, and as soon as it gets to this loudness point, it's going to go boop and cut it down for you until it gets back below that threshold point and it comes right back up. Does that make sense? So compressor is just kind of controlling the dynamics of our signal path. Um, and then th um, there's a couple other comp uh, a couple other components to it. Um, you'll see um, ratios of the compressor. So like basically um, how hard is it going to compress after it passes that, that threshold. So two to one is a kind of a balanced, easy compression level. Four to one is way, it's a little bit stronger. Eight to one is much stronger. And infinity to one is a limiting compressor, meaning like it will not get louder than this. Um, it's a limiter, but it makes your sound crazy if you use a limiter. Um, so that's why they have these Ratios and typically a, four, a two to one is is wonderful. It's very open, very transparent. You don't even hear that it's engaging. All it's doing is making it a little more pleasing. That's not uh, built into the analog. Correct. Built you have to have typically with analog, you have to use like an insert patch on the out uh, on the back of the console, and there would be like a, uh, a like a, a outward racked compressor somewhere. Um, that's how they've always used those. I only ever, when I used to run analog a lot, I only ever put it on my master fader. Um, and so I could just control the whole mix a little bit. Um, yeah. And a lot of times that is also built into your, um, your system processor, if you, if you know what that is. Um, so in your, do you know where your amps are for your speakers? Yeah, there's something hidden behind there that is like that they, mystical they don't box. Want you to mess with it. Yes, nobody it, touches that mystical yeah, box. Whoever installed it, they did something, and that don't touch you. Right, right. So in that, there's typically a little bit of a compressor in there too. Um, they'll do a, they'll do a, an easy compressor, and then past that somewhere, they'll do a limiting compressor that'll literally won't let sound get louder than this, so it won't blow your speakers. So. 
Um, those are important, and this, there's a reason they tell you not to touch it. So. <laughs> um, I'm the guy that goes to all the churches in the state of Georgia and touches that little red box that I'm not supposed to touch. But, um, but yeah, that so th- that, that's what a compressor does. It kind of controls the dynamics of it. Uh, again, on a digital console, it's on every single channel, and there's I can add a compressor to every single channel, including my master channel, which is really really helpful. Um, and so if you, if, especially like, so if y'all here for the, the speaker yesterday evening, um, his dynamics yeah. were out of control. Um, I was running sound for that. I, I, got, I got thrown in last minute to run sound last night. And um, he's like, my sound guy's the, uh, so their sound guy was supposed to be who the guy who played drums for them, but he had to play, the drummer didn't show up. So the sound guy had to go play drums and they're like, can you run sound? I'm like, sure, that's fine. And so I jumped over and did sound. So, um, but he, uh, <laughs> it, that dude's vocal. I mean, his preaching was dynamic uh, in more ways than one. Um, it was very, very loud at points and very, very quiet at other points. So, um, it's super, super good though. Um, so, dynamics are good, um, but it's nice to be able to control them some. So, that's what that is. Um, any questions about compressing? Any other dynamic questions on that? Okay, cool. Um, let me get my app open here. Um, so the last thing is um, sends and auxiliaries and faders. What do we use uh, sends and auxiliaries for? Recording or monitors? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's literally just effects, I guess. Yeah, we kind of talked about it earlier in the in the uh, the gain structure thing, where we were like, okay, let's pipe some of this to the nursery or to the hall speakers. Um, let's pipe some of this to the choir monitors. Let's pipe some of this to inner monitors or um, floor wedges or something like that. Um, so sends and auxiliaries are just that. They're just sending it to different places. It's an auxiliary mix to our um, our uh, live stream or something like that. <clears throat> One other thing that a lot of folks are, are, are trying to do live streaming these days and like trying to do... Um, uh, you know, set up a, a single camera in the back of the room with, with live stream. But often the thing they overlook when they're doing live streaming is audio. And that's really, of course, I'm the audio guy, of course I'm gonna say this, that's like the most important part. Because <laughs> if you have a disengaging audio uh, side of things, especially if it's music, um, boy, that's a bad impression of your church. That's a bad impression. Um, and you can, you can have a lot of folks say, not sure I want to go to that. You know, like that doesn't sound very good. Um, so what's really cool about a digital system is that I could set up this right here to be my recording mix. Um, and I can hand the iPad to a dude and he can go out in the parking lot with the iPad, put on headphones and listen to the broadcast mix and sit there and mix with an iPad the broadcast mix. Um, and he can listen in a, an environment where he's not hearing the room which is what every sound guy is just like, oh, I'll just do what I'm doing in the room and it's fine. And it's, it's a totally different environment. If you put on headphones and listen to what, what you're actually mixing for the speaker system, it's totally different. Because we, we've shifted from going 80% from the stage to reinforcement, like we were saying earlier, um, to now it's like 20% is still coming from the stage and 80% is that reinforcement. Um, it's probably pretty accurate in a lot of churches. Um, but the more you're hearing that live sound, the less you're able to mix a dry sound, if that makes sense. You're asking about room mics. Yeah. Uh, that, that's one of the things that um, 
so in our video class this morning, uh, we were talking about how, how to get that good sound for for broadcast and for for live streaming and that kind of thing. Um, if you set up like room mics that are strictly for um, for for like a broadcast kind of application, um, you can you can you can EQ that and adjust all that all you want um, for 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 the broadcast and it not come through the front of house at all. Um, and so that, that's just one of those ways that you can kind of give a sense of what's, what it sounds like in the room um, and, and have a much better product on your, on your broadcast mix. Does that make sense? Who all is doing live streaming at their church? We're, we're, getting, we're trying to learn about it. We haven't started yet. Okay. I think, I got one. Doing it too. I think Fort Worth. He's doing it? I think so. Fort Worth. A lot of churches just do... Um, you see there, they're at least recording it. A lot of churches just do the sermon, and and if you're not willing to invest in like doing the music the right way, then I would that would be my suggestion is just do the sermon and do it where it sounds really really good. Um, so at least you're having some digital presence out, um, but you're not having to buy a second console to mix the whole thing, you know. Um, so that that's always a challenge. But um, any other questions about all of that? Cool. Um, so, last thing, and this is kind of a, a nerdy thing, but it, you might have ever, you might have seen something like this um, related to your soundboard. If you if you need to know exactly how something works in your console, this is called a block diagram, and they have these for every single console ever made, uh, and it just shows you how that signal path goes through your soundboard um, and ends up coming out of your your main outputs. So that, that's just a cool way to kind of like, okay, so that happens and it goes to this and it's like, if you're just curious about how that stuff works behind it, every single, if you have the manual laying beside the console, just check it out. If you want to look it up online, you can find any console online and it'll just give you the block diagram for it. But it shows you how it all works together, like where the equalizer is. Um, that kind of stuff is just helpful. So a um, couple of things we didn't, we I didn't uh, go through. Um, on that uh, is is our master section. So we have um, so we have faders, of course. We have this elusive red button uh, called a mute. Uh, that's all. That's you have those on your TV remote as well. Um, but your master section is is kind of once all this gets blended together, it comes into you're you're taking on this console 24 sources and blending them together to two left and right. Or one if you're running in mono, which a lot of churches are. Um, in mono, so, so it's like putting a Happy Meal in a straw. You're, you're taking a lot of things and you're trying to get it to where it's like getting into this one little spot space. Um, and so try to remember that. Where, where a lot of folks are like, it had this mentality when they're running sound is like more of this, more of that, more of this, and it just turned into this loudness war. Um, think about how you can reduce something to make space for this other thing. Uh, that's a really helpful way to, to kind of process sound as you're mixing because it it really can turn into if you're if you're getting to that 88 decibels 80, 89 decibels creeping up to 90 um, that's getting pretty loud and and if you're if you're sitting there trying to turn something up above uh, something else to get it to where you can hear it then all you're doing is just 91 93 and it and it creeps up into just this. Everybody's looking at you with this squinting face, and it's like, oh, it's just too much. Um, so again, our goal is to engage the congregation. So the ones way, the ways we can do that is um, to mix in a way that is staying within those boundaries. So does that make sense? 
anything else on this thing. So I know you're running music from your laptop to the soundboard. Um, what program are you using? Pro Tools. So, okay. um, yeah, that's a good observation. I, I, I typically don't. Um, that's a, that's like the 1105 class. Uh, so, but this is something called virtual sound check. Um, and what what I can do is I, I literally hooked up my computer Sunday morning and recorded every channel of our band individually um, and recorded it all separately. So I can solo out the guitar and the keyboard separate from the vocalists and the whatever else. Um, and then I'm playing it back with through what's called virtual sound check. So this console, I can flip all the inputs from listening to the, the physical inputs to listening to a digital input. Um, and so what's cool about that is um, if you rehearse on a Wednesday night, um, you can do virtual sound check, record all that, and then come in Thursday morning, play it back, and it's going to sound exactly like it was in the room, barring that 20% of the stage noise. Um, and you can really, really dial in the mix and, and really figure out exactly what it needs to be doing, um, setting all your levels and all that stuff exactly how it needs to be uh, for that. So that, I'm using Pro Tools for that. You, that's the really, really expensive version. You can do, there's a free uh, version called Waves Live, um, that, or Tracks Live, it's by Waves. Waves make it, it's called Tracks Live. And it's just built for digital capture, digital playback. Um, for that. I was just thinking, I wanna play with it, probably not during while rehearsal. Um, cause I messed them up, but I just like, I work, you know, I learned best by playing with it. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't want to mess with stuff. Totally. I don't want to throw the band off. Right. Cause I'm messing. Yeah. And so even like, so like the X32, um, has a USB port in the back. I don't know if this is going to break anything. No, didn't. Okay. So just USB, uh, in a spot in the back right here. Okay. Um, and what that does is it, um, connects your computer to see that as an audio interface, which means. Um, instead of using the built-in microphones to record audio, it's going to use the interface as the recording audio. And so you can, li- I mean, you can produce a live record for your church, like <laughs> just by doing that. Um, but it's also a great way to train people. Oh my goodness, it's awesome for that. I did a, um, a youth camp earlier this summer, and, and we did mixing training. And I used this console with uh, with a live recording like that, um, and I just let them put on headphones and just mess with it and like figure out how and there's no you're not gonna break it it's fine because again i can i can do a scene and come down here and go to i'm gonna go to scene 98 down here and just save my own little practice mix scene and i'm just gonna mess with everything and then when i'm done i'm gonna go right back to my sunday scene and hit recall and everything's gonna go boop right back to where it was so can do anything like that with an analog board as far as for training purposes, multi-mixing, so they can hear an example Sunday morning that we recorded last week and they can play with it. Is there, can that software do that? Um, or there, there are ways to do it depending on the console. Um, typically li- live analog consoles weren't meant to have two inputs in them. Um, and so if you have a complex enough con- live console, you, which one did you have? The Allen Heath? Yeah, I don't remember the... GLD? GLD something that's got 30-something slots on it. Okay. There's a lot that I don't know how to do, but... <laughs> it, that's complicated, yeah. is the short answer, but it's possible. Um, one way... One way to, would be to plug... So you'd have to buy an external interface of some kind of recorder. Mm-hmm. So you could buy... Um, 
like PreSonus has a thing that you can record 32 channels simultaneously. Yeah, multi-track recorder. See, but even I'm not, that. I'm not going to do that for training purposes. I mean, <laughs> I just wanted to see if there's some way to. There's not an easy way to do it. Okay. Um, yeah, because you have to go direct out of every channel into that recorder, and then line out of the recorder into the line inputs of your console. Flip all your inputs to line input, and then. <laughs> I think you've been ten miles cable. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's how recording studios did it. Like so, you have you have the the thing coming in. Uh, like so, on an analog console, you I mean they still use analog consoles in most recording studios because it sounds better, yeah. uh, and they're not worried about that convenience factor because somebody some funeral comes in there and tries to touch their soundboard, they're gonna shoot them. Um, so um, the yeah, so that would be complicated. Um, but again, with the price point being. Twenty-two hundred bucks. Yeah, yeah. I didn't realize that you could get because we don't. We certainly don't use twenty-four, thirty-something channels. Um, so. Well, they make a smaller version too. Well, yeah, and I'm just thinking. That I didn't. I've always got this mental. Oh, five, six, seven thousand dollars to. Yeah, you know, not that. Well, we, and four years ago they were. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying I can go out and do it tomorrow, but that's not. It's encouraging mm -hmm. to see that they're lower. You know. Yep. Yeah, it's very, very much within within reach. Um. I mean, I know of some huge churches that are running, that are using an X32, which is, what, there's like 2,500 maybe, 2,000? I've seen them on sale for 2,000, but I don't know how much they are regularly. Um, and so that's just a different brand's version of this exact same thing. Um, and it, 32 channel, like this is 24. They make a 32 channel version of this as well. But just like what you wouldn't expect a, you would expect a huge church to buy a really expensive board. I guess I, that's my expectation. <laughs> but like I've just seen it's and it works great for them. Like it's really simple for volunteers to operate. If you like um, do if you teach them kind of like what I've taught you, what I've taught today, um, it is not this unreachable thing. You know, you can have a lot of high school students pick this stuff up like crazy. I'm constantly in my home church um, picking out a high a hand picking a high school student like, hey, come come Sunday morning just come learn this thing and so I'll teach them how to do sound uh, again one thing I said before we kind of got started this morning this, this afternoon was um, one of the most beneficial things I did as a as a worship leader was to kind of ask my band I didn't force them but I asked my band to, to cross train and learn how sound works because it's really unfortunate that there's a there's usually some level of tension between the platform and the booth there's some level of well there's being lazier, they're on their phones too much, or they're too mean, or whatever it is. And it's we're on the same team. Like, why are we arguing about this? Um, so, so having usually the problem, the big problem is there's a lack of understanding of each other's world. So you have the really technical, uh, geeky-minded guy in the booth, and you have like the really like unstructured musician guy that won't show up on time uh, in on the platform, right? And so like those two worlds don't collide very well. But if you kind of cross train each other and, and are able to talk in a way that's like, hey, the XLR cable isn't plugged into the direct box all the way. Um, and instead of that being like Greek to a, to a musician, like just train your team. And like let everybody, like we're all speaking the same language here. Um, and so that, so that your musicians can help troubleshoot problems on the platform and, um, and they can actually speak intelligently to your sound guys and, and that kind of thing. So. Um, Super helpful and healthy way to do things, and then train your sound guys on how how some of the musical terms y'all got you guys use um, as as music leaders and that sort of thing. And 
man, it's so helpful to be able to just speak intelligently, right? So what are some of the common um, problems you guys face as in, in, with technical stuff in your church? Inattention. They're not there, like I said, not the passion to do the job. They're just mm-hmm. the warm body to make sure it doesn't go haywire or that they can hear something. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like that. There's not a, I want to make this sound right, you know, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That's my trouble. Um, do you feel like they're bored? Yeah. Well, that that's not just audio related. That could be service related too. But <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I wasn't going that direction. <laughs> I feel you. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't, I, maybe they don't know enough about what's going on to know how to fix it. Yeah, because I've found it's either it's one way or the other. Either it's there's not enough going on to where they're just like, oh, it's just why am I even here? Yeah. Monkey could run this, um, or it's the opposite of. I, this is a little overwhelming and like I'm checking out because I don't really understand it. Um, so I would kind of dr- drill down on that a little bit and see if there's ways that you can get them further engaged. Um, it sounds counterintuitive, but if you gave them more responsibility, um, like if you increased what they do, like ask them to get there earlier and stay later for things, mm-hmm. there's a, there's typically a little more engagement there. Um, and so for one, for instance, I ask our volunteers to show up 15 to 20 minutes before rehearsal um, to check batteries, to lay out microphones, um, to make sure mic stands are all in the right places, um, to check our media cards, like recording, like we record to, uh, CF cards for our audio stuff. And so like, make sure those are, those are good. And it sounds like I'm just being lazy and not willing to do it myself, but it's like, no, that's giving them more buy-in and more understanding to the process behind what it takes to get it ready. Um, and then and then just like tidying up the stage, like making sure cables are run, runs are, are, are neat, and then like tape down any, use gaff tape and tape down cables, anything like that just gives more a more level of um, engagement there. But then if you do cross-training, again, I'm kind of preaching the cross-training thing, but if you do cross-training, it kind of creates this healthy, um, a healthy competitive atmosphere of like, oh man, he did that, that sounds really cool, let me, I'll try that. Like I'm trying to make that happen, and so like there's a um, if you have more guys kind of doing that position or understanding how that works, um, it really can create a kind of a culture of raising the bar. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to try to hog it, so to jump in if y'all need to. But I mean, we have uh, very little to do. You know, the recording is almost more important than the live because the live kind of there's four, two mics. You know, maybe that's it. Mm-hmm. But, or the, you know, balancing the instruments with the soloist, you know, so it's very simple. But I'll get to the point where they'll leave the pulpit and the choir mics on at the same time, and that's chaos if they, you know, but they just won't do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But what? So do you do you run sound typically, and you just kind of manage the team? Uh, well, it's it's me and one or two other guys, and it's just whoever can be there. Sometimes there's three of us, sometimes me. And sometimes it's the other guy because I'm out of town quite a bit. So gotcha. it's really, and it's real traditional, you know. So it's just a matter of, like I said, getting them to be mm-hmm. interested in what they're doing as opposed to just filling a seat to yeah, that's <laughs> turn the switches on and off and then leave. <laughs> Can't, so in you are doing a, like a broadcast thing as well? Not yet, but that's what I'm afraid of because there's a lot of room for errors and, and not sounding good to a online stream you know you don't want that you know so yeah no doubt i'm trying to i want to get that corrected before we go that way you know 
Yeah, I'm just wondering if you gave them if you gave them that extra thing to do, if that would increase engagement. Um, like if they if you had something like this where they could you know get make sure the front of house is right. It sounds like there's not a lot to kind of manage yeah. and monitor there. Then they could put their headphones on and flip over to this mix and start mixing that for 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 that for the yeah. broadcast. And, and even if you didn't actually broadcast it for a while, just so you kind of just got used to that well, and just recorded it. We do the CD recordings, so mm -hmm. and the music minister's not in a bad way, but he's critical about what it sounds like. He, oh, the piano's too loud. I want to respond to that. I want to know how to teach them to respond to that. And mm -hmm. if they're not listening to headphones, right? How can I fix that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyway, I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. So I think a lot of people's response to to disengagement is to like re reduce responsibility and like make it simpler. But I think it sounds like it. You kind of need to find ways to give them more. I know that sounds again sounds kind well, of counterintuitive. If we add the live stream, then you almost you got to be able to pay attention to. This. So then I would also just ask your your music minister just just kind of brainstorm with him about ways that you guys could increase that engagement. Um, training is always a good thing. Take them I'm take them to an event um, like something like this mm -hmm. where they can kind of see more than their normal context and yeah. kind of get inspired for something. Um, Long story short, we're we're in a separate room for worship. We're about to move back to the sanctuary, but I want to do a little pre preseason chat, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like here, remember what this looks like because we yeah, yeah. don't have haven't been using that board in six three months because we're not in that room. So. Yeah. Well, I, even I'd I'd even be glad to come do a training thing at your church before that happens. That'd be awesome. I'd love it. So, what else is going on? And just overall balance, know what else is. The West End congregation here on the acoustic guitar, acoustic electric guitar, and of course I, we got electrical drum set, electronic drum set, it's worn out. We're working on getting a new one. It's uh, it's pretty old, but you can like hi hat, your hi hat symbols, barely, barely get them to toms. You got to hit those toms pretty hard and get any sound out of them. It's cause it's, the equipment's just wearing out. Yeah. So. He mentioned that to me. I think last time we were there. Um, yeah, that, electric drums are so that they're so compressed yeah. that there, there's not a lot of dynamics there. And that's that, that, to a drummer, yeah. it's maddening. It is. It is. <laughs> I've always, I mean, as, you know, I've always played keyboard, uh, and this is my actually first time playing on on electronic all the time. It's like. You know, first the feel's different. It's different from the drum heads to an electronic pad, and then of course the sound. I mean, if and I the thing that like I can hear everything. If I hit the tom, that's cool. But as far as the main, right? You're sitting out, you're not hearing everything. Yeah. Well, you almost hear the pad of it hitting the pad more than you do the actual sound of a drum. Yeah. Like yeah. I always hear that. Yeah. yeah. So it's set here. They're not. There's no barrier there, right? Right. And it. You don't, I don't notice it. How do they, how do they get away with it? They that? have this um, rare species of human called a controlled drummer. <laughs> I, um, I didn't notice he wasn't rare. I didn't notice he was, he was not like going at it. Yeah, yeah, I could do. Yeah, yeah. yeah just like exactly sitting right here versus most drummers are just. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I kind of noticed that. There's a little bit of a, of a barrier up here. It's not very tall. Right. Yeah, control that, but yeah. They want, they, Ron, the Ron Carter, the guy, that, that the worship pastor here was telling me that they're going to build one eventually, but yeah. 
Um, they have a really balanced drummer, so it's like yeah. more power to you. They also have a really cool set of cymbals uh, for any acoustic live drummer folks in here. Um, those are made, it's a Christian company called Heartbeat Cymbals. Um, Passion, um, Hillsong, all these big name folks are using them now. They're, they're great sounding low volume cymbals. And they're, they're not like quiet cymbals, they're still loud, but it's, if you compare it next to a Zildjian or a um, oh, Sabian yeah. or whatever, uh, Minel, like they, they're going to be substantially quieter. Yeah. The decay is not nearly as long on them, so like normally like, Normally, the problem with cymbals is not necessarily the initial hit of the cymbal, it's the buildup of a cymbal as you kind yeah. of just crash on it or whatever. And so um, that just turns into this wash of sound. Um, and he's got it in the drum says D2 a little bit like a snare. You don't have it wound up really tight. He's got D2 where it's got more of a thud sound versus a crisp sound. Mm-hmm. So that helps with the volume though, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, um, what else? Does everybody feel like the speakers that you have in your space um, does a good enough job of covering? No, no, no. no. That's, that's I'm surprised nobody brought that up. That's right another there. area too. Yeah, this is uh, seems like the equipment's you know not quite adequate enough to get that. Because even there, I mean, it's the ceiling's open. It's a very big space. It yeah, seems like equipment's not matching. It's not matching the size. Yeah. And you can use something. Either, I mean, you can pack a lot of sound, you know, with day shit and all. You pack a lot of sound, and you need to be a little space. Mm. And it's having that, following that, something that works. Yeah. So it's interesting. Like, so I had, I was doing one of these classes one time, and um, there was a guy, like a, a music minister, that was like trying to get, I think he was trying to get me to tell him that, that he didn't need to spend a lot of money on the speakers. Like that was the place that he's like, you would buy a nice board before you bought, the way you phrased the question was like, you would buy a nice board before you bought nice speakers, right? Like that would be the thing you would spend money on versus that, right? And I was like, no, 10 times over I would spend on speakers before I bought, um, before a board. It's because speakers are a lot like a nice piano or a nice instrument of any kind where like the more that there's a craftsmanship going into it and engineering that goes into it, the materials that you build it with, um, the way that the construction of the instrument was done, all matters a lot. And so this, those speakers, if you, don't have, if you have cheap parts, um, cheap amplifiers, cheap engineering that goes into it, cheap components, um, it's gonna sound cheap. Cheap sound. Yeah. The, the reason a Steinway sounds like a Steinway is because they just work really hard at building a great instrument. It's not because it has the word Steinway on it. Um, and so the, the reason that you know, an L acoustics box sounds better than a PV box is because they spend a lot more time on that thing. Um, and, it's, and the placement too is really important. The placement is huge, yeah. yeah. Um, it's stored a lot easier too. Yeah. In older, the old, like the older speakers become, the more harsh they become. Um, and so if you're dealing with a speaker system that's 20 years old, um, they're just going to sound harsh. You're, you can't EQ anything into that s- system that's going to make it sound less harsh. It's just going to have a brash sound to it. Um, another interesting thing, um, I guess it makes sense, but it's, it's always fascinated me, is the, more, the older your speakers are, the more drastic your EQ adjustments have to be. Um, because you have to like really bend that sound 
internally in order to make it actually do that in that speaker. So that's a weird phenomenon that I figured out because I didn't realize it until we actually bought that, that church that Warren, um, when we bought our new speakers, when I first started working there like 10 years ago. Um, and it's like the first time I had like nice speakers I was aware. It's like the, it's like the first time driving a nice car. It's like, whew, that's crazy. And so like I barely touched this EQ thing and it like drastically changed it. And I was like, that is crazy. Like crazy. Uh, huge changes. And so um, it really is like make or break. Um, but luckily that, that engineering and that, Technology is becoming way more accessible. I mean, you, I know it's still a lot of money, but you could spend $20,000 and get a killer setup. Killer setup. Um, versus, like, the system in there, I guarantee you, they spent 120 something like that, probably. Yeah. A lot of money. But yeah, that system will last you, too. The quality product is going to last you a lot longer mm. versus subject. As long as technology doesn't override you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and people, I get that question a lot, too, is like, how long should I expect to replace my system or whatever? Speakers, that kind of thing can last longer, um, a, a good bit longer. Um, this kind of technology, I would plan, I would budget to replace it every eight to 10 years on the conservative side. <laughs> and one thing we've learned too about getting it serviced every every other year or something mm -hmm. like that too is something I didn't know until recently. Just getting it serviced. Yeah, yeah. Having having an engineer like so, Messenger Media is one of our our sponsor people. They're like the ones that let me borrow this stuff to, for this class. Um, just they're like they're godly guys. Like they're planning a church right now. Like the the owners of the company. They're just super super nice guys that own an incredible AVL company. So um, you can have one of their engineers come out and just listen to the stuff, service it, tune it, make it get it get the most performance out of it. Uh, even if you're not will able to um, replace stuff, they can come tweak it to where it's in its optimal position. So like projector bulbs have hours. Do speakers have hours? Not in the same way. Okay. It just kind of becomes a because there's a bunch of factors into it. So if you have, if you only turn your air conditioning on on Sunday mornings, um, there's speak and it turn it gets 78, 85 degrees in your sanctuary all summer. Uh, there's going to age faster. Um, it's, it's more of an issue of it's flexible materials and they will become brittle and not as flexible over time. Yep. Yep. Electronics, if you expose it to any sort of humidity and uh, moisture, mm -hmm. it kills them. It kills them. I mean, it oxidizes all the components. So, yeah, so that there's a projectors are, a, it has a lot more of a definite thing. This is way more fact, set. there's lots of factors that go into it. You usually hear it before it before it dies. Like, mm -hmm. you'll hear it. Yeah, Chris, so can that. Terrible. he can tell. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Nice more money. <laughs> yeah, we we tech guys are good at spending money, so that's why I, I feel guilty in this class. Like I'm usually selling. Everybody walks out with like a five thousand dollar wish list by the time they leave my class. Like ah, I didn't mean to do that, but <laughs> do I? I said I came in with that. <laughs> well, I added to it at least. So, well, cool. Thanks, guys. Um, I think we got a we got a session and we got a roll tune in just a few minutes. Go go grab some.